Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. It's been found on page 286 in your pew Bibles. Uh, this is on the edge of the promised land before going in, and Moses is reminding people of where they have been and what they need to remember as they go in. This is Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 20, and before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made and for all that you have given to us, and we thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us not to be um, so quickly forgetful, but Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember, to remember what you have said, to remember what you have done, or to remember who you are. And that we remember uh, who we are as your people. God, that we would be able uh, not only to remember, but to live lives uh, believing and trusting in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs uh, gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey a land where bread will not be scarce to you, and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. 
Turning then to Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, which uh, I can remember when I was younger thinking that the book of Hebrews was actually in the Old Testament. It's not. So if you're flipping <laughs> to find it, this is in the New Testament and can be found on page 1863 in our pew Bibles. But it, it seems like it should be in the Old Testament to some degree, as it's called Hebrews. Uh, but it's written to the Hebrew peoples, people who knew the Old Testament really well, but it actually, if you read through the book, it doesn't make sense for it to be in the Old Testament at all because it's all about uh, Jesus and how he's greater than all the things that uh, go on in the Old Testament. But as we get to this today, um, I don't know what your feelings are about time travel movies or that whole genre, uh, science fiction sort of things where you're traveling in time. There are oh, so many of them. I, I was raised on Back to the Future. That's just it is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes, yes. You can, <laughs> you can tell a person's age by what, <laughs> what kind of movies they grew up on, I guess. Um, but anyway, you may love that kind of uh, genre. You may hate it. But I'm warning today, if it's the kind of thing you hate, we are going to be doing some time traveling today. So uh, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 3, which actually comes, it was written, you know, first hundred years uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection. But what it's quoting is from Psalm 95, which was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. But Psalm 95 is actually talking about something that happened roughly 400 years before that when the people were in the wilderness after coming out of um, slavery in Egypt, going to Mount Sinai, and then getting to the edge of the promised land. And as we talked about last week, Twelve went down to spy on Canaan, ten were bad, and two were good. <laughs> uh, they go in and look at the land. They say, it is good, but there are giants. We can't go in. And two of them said, it is good. There are giants, but God has promised to give it to us, so let's go in. And in an unfortunate case of democracy, <laughs> uh, the, the faithful minority got outvoted. And so then the entire community spends the next 40 years in the wilderness. That's what 
uh, happening back there. That's what uh, Psalm 95 is going to be talking about, and it is what Hebrews is then going to be quoting from as it talks about both of those things. All of that, so we're going to be jumping in time, and I'm going to try to move around here accordingly so you know where we are. All of that is actually going to then tie into things that happen at the beginning and things that happen at the very end. So we'll be looking at past and future, but all of it so that we can understand our own present. And so we're going to be looking at past, present, and future as we go through this. And that is really uh, the, the encouragement from this section of Hebrews and why we're looking at it here instead of reading about it uh, in Numbers or Deuteronomy, etc. Um, is because of its relevance for today. And that's actually how you'll hear it uh, both from the psalm and from Hebrews as it talks about today. Today. And when you hear that today, I want you to think about it in terms of past, present, and future. Because the present is always now. And so yesterday, if I was talking about today, then by now, that's in the past. But if you're talking about the present, it's whatever moment you're currently in. And that's the way these authors are using this word today. That today kind of moves along with you in time. And so tomorrow, when we get there, that will be our today. All right. Your mind's ready to be warped a little bit by this. Start doing time travel stuff. It gets, it gets crazy. Okay. But that's the idea, is that the, it, this eternal present, the, what we are living through uh, in the moment, this is the today that it speaks of. So going to Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall, not, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not, those, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. All right. Oh, man, just read all of Hebrews. But uh, for now, I think it's important to understand what it's talking about, uh, what the story is that he's referring to. Because, again, the author of the Hebrews is writing with this, assumption that you know the Old Testament well, 
that the the original audience that he's writing this to would have known the Old Testament. So when he's quoting from uh, Psalm 95, everybody just knew that. That's what you're quoting from. And when he talks about what happens in the wilderness, everybody knew that this is a part of their story. This is what they uh, have been passing down from generation to generation, what they teach uh, their children and their grandchildren. And so when he references the story, they go, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we know that. So what is the story? Because unfortunately, sometimes we don't do as good a job of passing that down, and we're very forgetful of our own uh, history. But this is what it is. Um, you have the people, and we talked about this last week, the people who have come out of Egypt, that God has brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and takes them to Mount Sinai, and with a booming voice gives them the Ten Commandments. And they responded by saying, yeah, don't talk to us anymore. Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to hear from him anymore. And so Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's there for 40 days. And while Moses is gone for 40 days, what do the people do? They make a golden calf. And Aaron says, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And so they break the covenant immediately, which is why when Moses comes down, he throws the tablets, a sign of breaking the covenant. Um, but they move on from there. After he goes back up, gets it again. <laughs> they move on from, um, from the mountain, and they come actually to the edge of the promised land, the land that God had promised to give them. And he said, send people in and check it out. And so they did, and they checked it out, and they said, this is an amazing place. But as a whole, they did not trust God would give it to them. And so he said, then you don't get to go in. And so for the next, and so they'd explored the land for 40 days. And he said, for every day that you explored the land, you will now spend a year in the wilderness until that whole generation has died off. That'll be the next generation that actually goes in. This, uh, this is then what leads into this 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And they place to place to place, if you actually read, I think it's, Numbers 33, that lists all the places they went from the time they left Egypt till they actually got into the promised land. That's like 40 different places that they went from one place to the next. And so this is like just the longest camp out ever. They don't get to build houses. They're not building houses in the wilderness. They're not settling down. They're not uh, <laughs> growing anything. They are just on the move from place to place, and they come to some places and there's no water there. What are they going to do? And so they let God know about that. <laughs> they let Moses know about that. There's no water, and they say, why? Why did you bring us out here to die? It would be better if we were back in Egypt. Or they come to a place where there's no food, and they say, there's no food here. Why did you bring us out here to die? It would be better if we were back in Egypt. And this is what we see as kind of the constant refrain during this time period. Is, uh, it's a time, we've been talking about these during Lent, it's 40 days. We're looking at different 40-day and 40-year periods throughout the Bible and how they are generally associated with times of testing. And uh, what we've seen already is this particular 40-day or 40-year time of testing, who was being tested? 
I've actually read it. There are two different <laughs> groups being tested. God is testing the Israelites during these 40 days, but he also says they were testing him <laughs> during these 40 days, or 40 years. I keep saying days. Uh, so in these 40 years, God is testing the Israelites. How are they doing on this test? They didn't trust him enough to go into the land. Now are they going to trust him enough to provide in the wilderness? How are they doing? They trust in him? No, they're not. And unfortunately, this is what we've seen so far every time we've encountered one of these tests, these 40-day periods, is that apart from God, people always fail the test. That is the track record. That's what we've seen so far. And, um, and that is the case here again, is you have people who have every reason to be uh, trusting him, and they don't. They're failing the test again. What about God? Does he pass the test? He does. He does. He has them in the middle of nowhere where there is no food, there is no water. And he says, have some manna. Have some water that just comes out of a rock from Moses talking to it. What in the world? What is going on here? And it is God providing for his people. Them not providing for themselves, him providing for them. He is trying to discipline them, to teach them that he can be trusted, that he does care for them, that he is going to provide for them. And the question is, seeing that he's passing the test, that he is the one who's faithful, will the people actually learn to trust him? And largely the answer is no. And so then we come back to this. This is not just a history lesson. This is a history repeating itself lesson. <laughs> this brings us to the today. Has God provided for us? Has he proved himself faithful? This is the message that we have not only of him providing food for us, but of Jesus giving his very life for us. And so the message is, all right, he has proved himself faithful. He has, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, he has proved himself faithful and trustworthy and is the one who has provided for you. And you have heard this message. So now the question is, are we going to respond like they did in the wilderness? Ungrateful, forgetful, disobedient, and hard-hearted. Or not. And that is the encouragement of Hebrews, is that we don't have to live like that. We don't have to live like that. This has been the pattern from the very beginning, and every time you see wilderness, and you can try to think through or search through your Bibles and just look for wilderness, this is what it always is. Is there's this place that God has provided for his people, that is good. You go all the way back to the very, very beginning in, in Genesis. And he puts people in a garden where they've got everything they need. But they don't trust God. They don't trust him to do things his way, but instead they decide they are going to de define what is right and what is wrong for themselves. And in doing this, what do they get? Not life, but death. And so they go out of the garden and into a wilderness. And from then on, we see this same pattern again 
and again. And we see the Israelites who, instead of getting to go into the land where all is good and the, the fruit is just right there, instead they're in the wilderness eating manna for 40 years. And this is what is saying to us for today, is there is goodness, there is blessing, but there is no such thing as having the blessing apart from the faith, apart from trusting God, apart from his way being the way, apart from submitting ourselves and saying, your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in my life. This is the way. Had Adam and Eve done that, they stay in the garden. Had the Israelites done that, they go right on the promised land. And that is the encouragement that we have from Hebrews. If we do this, this is where we go. We need to take a look at Psalm 95. Go ahead and open to Psalm 95. Hold it there. I'm going to read a bit more from Hebrews 3 first. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So two things there. One, See to it that you don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart. So check, check where you are today on that. Are we hardening our hearts? Are we trusting in God? And then uh, second is to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Um, so we're doing past, present, future kind of things. It is really easy. And yes, we're getting a Psalm 95. <laughs> it is really easy to not trust God in the present. It is really easy. And one of the things that makes it really easy to not trust God in the present is to look to the past or look to the future in deceitful ways. It talks about sin's deceitfulness. Here's one of the ways that works. Maybe you'll recognize this in your own heart. Is you can look to the past at a time when you did trust God and say, well, I'm sure that's, that's good enough. I don't need to trust him today. We'll just ride on that. That's deceitful. That's not how that works. This is an ever-present trusting and walking day by day in faith. Uh, or the other thing is to look to the future and kind of the procrastinator's motto of I'll get to it someday. <laughs> and so, well, maybe I'm not trusting him today, but I do intend to trust him later down the road. We'll get to that. We'll get it taken care of, but not today. And you see the deceitfulness because we're always living in today. And so if we start trying to live in our yesterday or live in our tomorrow, we miss today, and we always are living in today. And this is why the refrain comes through again and again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The deceitfulness of sin will always Sin, I guess, will always try to deceive you into hardening your hearts today, even by using yesterday or tomorrow against you.
Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Psalm 95. This is where we're going to end. You're probably more familiar with the first half of this psalm. We use it in worship songs a lot, even calls worship, that sort of thing. Uh, But it's the second half that the author of Hebrews quotes from. So I'm going to read the whole thing. You'll You'll see how that comes in. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Does that seem strange to anybody? The first half and the second half, it's like, what do these have to do with each other? And so we tend to divide that up, and we'll read the first half, and we're like, oh, that's lovely. We just leave off the second half. But actually, (laughs) these do go together. And in fact, when it says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do you know the answer to that? Do you know how to keep from hardening your heart? It's the first half of the psalm. It's to bow down in worship. It's to bow down and recognize, I am not the king. You are the king. I am not God. You are God. I don't get to define what's right and wrong. You get to define what's right and wrong. I don't get to run my life. You get to run my life. And so when we read the first half of the psalm, it's this is how we live like this. This is how we live in faith and trust in what he has provided and who he is. And the second half is just a warning and saying, what happens if we don't do this and how we've seen this done in our own history. So the warning is real. But so is the solution. And even the solution itself, as we talk about this trusting in him, even that, we have to come to the point where we say, I can't do that on my own either. But that's where Jesus has done it for us. This is the message of Hebrews. That what we have in Jesus is so much greater than anything that was revealed even in the Old Testament. And it's what we celebrate again this morning. And so uh, there's an Andrew Peterson song that talks about coming to take communion, how with every step uh, towards the table, with one step we remember, with the other we proclaim. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. This is the walk of faith, trusting that he has come, that he has provided what we need, and that he will provide what we need, but that even today, he is providing what we need. So today, will we remember? Will we proclaim? Will we harden our hearts? Or will we trust him today? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.